Good to be with you this morning, JR. You as well, Doug. It's great to be back here in season two. We're off to a great start. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, both of those uh, episodes with Steve Cuss have just still been ringing true in my soul. Yeah, that and and then Michael Beck. And man, we've got really exciting discussion today with our next uh, guest we'll get to in a couple minutes. But yeah, why don't you tell our listeners about our, our exciting news? Yes, we've got really exciting news. This is very cool. We've been in conversation for a few months with an organization, and we get a chance to partner with them here in this podcast. So many of our listeners are aware of an organization called Missio Alliance. Missio Alliance has been around for the last several years as a clearinghouse for groups and organizations that are trying to live on mission, whether it's churches, denominations, individuals. And uh, it's been a tribe that we've been a part of for the last several years and have been a part of uh, helping in some ways, big and small, formally and informally. And so we just are super excited as a podcast to enter into an official collaborative partnership with uh, Missio Alliance. And uh, so Monday morning, Pastor Podcast. Podcast uh, and Kairos Partnerships and Missio Alliance are together in partnering, which we're big fans of partnerships. So this is kind of cool. Absolutely. It feels like the perfect trifecto, even in the way that I, what I preach about Missio Alliance is it is not denominationally driven, yes. but it's driven from a space where denominations can come and be part of it along with non-denominational folks, but it's geared around the mission of Christ. And I love that. Yes. The non-territorialism of the kingdom uh, is really mm. potent when you are in these spaces. And it's not just events, although there are national gatherings every other month, every other month, every other <laughs> year. Uh, and they've been in Washington, D.C. and Alexandria, Virginia uh, for the last uh, handful of years. I've been at all of them and uh, it's been wonderful. I know you've been there as well. And uh, so we're really excited to enter into this, but there's lots of information from podcasts to um, articles and written pieces that release all the time. And uh, so if you get a chance, check out missioalliance.org. Missioalliance.org uh, is a great, great site. And so we are just, we're just tickled to be in partnership. With tickled them. is so a good did word. Did I just use tickle in you a did. sentence? It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be great. And uh, yeah, so, you know, as we enter into uh, this conversation with, uh, with, uh, I just think everyone is going to love this conversation mm-hmm. and um, with our friend Dave, but uh, you know, we talk on this about part of being healthy is also making sure we play. Correct. And not taking ourselves too seriously, taking the gospel seriously, but not ourselves too seriously, which Sometimes I get those flipped. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, I'm tickled about that. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think there are times when 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 we do get that flipped, and that that is a dangerous space for pastors. Yeah, a very I dangerous th- space. I think a lot about the interview we did with AJ Swoboda mm. and how some of the lies we believe about play of like I don't have time for that. That's not important. That gets in the way of me sort of accomplishing instead of being with God, of doing things for God. And so, yeah, I, I just, uh, play is so important uh, to build that in. And we've talked about our loves and our hobbies and things like that. And so um, that certainly will be the focus of this episode as well. Yeah. So JR, one of the things that I, I know, and you've, you've talked about this before, it doesn't necessarily come natural for you to jump into these things, but you have developed a sort of a, a way to stoke curiosity and to play that is a, a yearly event. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah. We do it every August. My dad, my brother, and myself, we call it the Briggs City a Year Trip. And it's always the third week of August from about, uh, I think it's Wednesday to Saturday. And uh, and it's just a chance. We, we descend upon a mid-major city. So nothing sexy like LA or New York or things like that. So we pick these mid-level cities. We've been to places like Indianapolis and Charleston, South Carolina, Pittsburgh, Portland, Maine, Birmingham, Alabama, Boise, Idaho, Little Rock. And then this year we went to Sacramento, California. And we love it when people say, Sacramento? Why, why would you go to Sacramento for vacation? And we're like, exactly. That's exactly. the whole point of city here. <laughs> so we find these mid-major cities and then we research. We love baseball, so we make sure they have a major or minor league baseball team in town. So we always go to that game. We rent bikes. We rent kayaks or whitewater rafting. We, we go kayaking. We... Uh, we've done uh, segways before, rented segways really? through through Charleston, South That's Carolina. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So we always uh, when we bring our ha- 
hammocks. We have these camping hammocks and they fit in our carry-on real easily when we fly. And then we just find a park that's got trees normally near water and we just read a book, take a nap. So we, and we drink lots of good food. We have lots of good beer and we sit around and just enjoy talking. And uh, we get up and go to a coffee shop, spend three hours just catching up uh, on deep conversation with each other. So we just enjoy those spaces of doing a whole bunch and a whole lot of nothing at the same time. Um, and all the things that we love, good food, uh, good drink, um, hammocking. Uh, we, we went kayaking in Sacramento. We visited the state Capitol, uh, like even random stuff like the Pony Express across the U.S. ended in Sacramento. So we went to the building where like the final stop of the Pony Express is like, talk about random, <laughs> like, like, yeah, wow. You know, like our mail system is based on this idea of the Pony Express. Wow. And uh, sometimes I feel like my mail gets here as fast as the Pony Express even today. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it's just, it's a blast. We just always have a ball. So, so random rabbit trail. Did you know that about the Pony Express going into Sacramento? No, so that's no. something your that's, curiosity led you right, to. That's what you research. That's and so cool. you look at these sites, like what are the 10 best things to see in Sacramento? So like, yeah, you got to go to the state Capitol, you know, you got to go over the tower bridge. You got to go to a river cats baseball game. Um, and then we look, what are the best coffee shops? to go to? What are the best food places? And we'll say that uh, Sacramento is probably the best food place of all the cities we've been to. Hmm. We had great Vietnamese. We had, let's see, we had ramen. We had Mexican. Um, we had gourmet pizza. I'm even forgetting. Oh, we had great Thai. So we just enjoy eating and exploring and discovering and biking along the, the river trails. Uh, we just had a ball. So we even like, we even drove by, we didn't, we just said, spent five minutes in it, but this place called the dive bar and we're like, we got to check it Wait, out. It's called the dive it's bar. It's called the dive bar, but here's why <laughs> it's super cool. You go in and we didn't, we didn't stop. We just, we just biked by and we're like, here it is. We heard about this place. We got to walk in it's three o'clock. Nobody's there, but right above the bar is this ginormous swim tank that's got uh, fish in it. And on the hour, every evening, they have mermaids and mermen that swim with the fishes that go diving, hence the dive bar. The dive bar. They literally swim with the fishes. It's like a giant fish tank with a mermaid and a merman in it. <laughs> you talking about so random. Oh, my god! It is random. This is a legit dive bar. But that's the curiosity. You're like, what right. the heck is this dive bar? They have... Literally, you you have a drink and you watch people <laughs> swim with fishes in a tank. What the heck? The dive bar. Oh my so, gosh. Anyway, we had to at least pop in for three minutes just to see it, mm. and uh, we're glad we did. So, city year is always on the calendar, always on the schedule. It's something we look forward to. Whole lot of nothing and a whole lot of activity and doing a whole bunch of stuff too. So it's great. It's That's great. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Jr. I feel like even just stories like that help, hopefully help our listeners think about ways in which they can engage your curiosity and figure out fun little things to do like that. Yeah. We kind of have that mindset of like, well, people say why? And we're like, well, why not? Like, let's just give it a go. Mm. So um, yeah, next year we're already thinking of, of some cities we normally don't like to announce necessarily. Ah. People ask, where are you going next? Yeah. And so I always kind of wait on that. We have to do research to make sure the baseball team is in town because that is a non-negotiable. The baseball team has to be in town. We've got to watch baseball. Baseball. But in a few years, we can give you a little preview of coming attractions. We're actually thinking of taking it internationally and going Havana, Cuba. Dang. All three of us have been fascinated about Havana. Wow. So in a few years, we'll see if we can take city a year, big city a year trip to at the international level. Mm. So we'll see. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> is the founding director of the Center for Play and Exploration in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which operates on three principles, curiosity, divergent thinking, and freedom to fail. Through his leadership at the center, Dave has led and facilitated teams in ministry, education, medicine, business, and athletics through coaching and cohorts and offsite professional development experiences. His background is in education, theology, psychology, and philosophy, which has led him to a fascination with the power of curiosity to unlock potential in people and in organizations. He is convinced that human life and work can be an act of playful exploration, 
and this led him to start the center. He loves old couples, being surprised, and rock and roll, and as you'll learn in this interview, he also loves baseball, which makes me happy. Enjoy this conversation with our friend, Dave Bindewald. We're really excited to have Dave on with us today. And, you know, Dave, some of the things that we've been noticing as we've talked with pastors uh, for quite a few years now is just the need of play um, within the world of pastors and leaders and just people, humans. And, um, you know, JR mentioned your name to me a few months ago, and he was like, we've got to get this guy on the show. He's going to just have a lot of really good things to say and, and just the framework in terms of how you do that. So can you like just share with, uh, with, with us this, you know, today, just some of the things in which you're really passionate about? Sure. Um, I think the first thing that came to mind uh, when you said people need to play, I'm really glad to hear you say that uh, people and not just pastors, right? Not just ministry folks. Um, That being probably a lot of our worlds, maybe the three of us were familiar with that. But since leaving the quote unquote ministry world, professional Christian world, um, it's, it's held true in every single corner and every single category. So architects, lawyers, doctors, teachers, parents, uh, it's a, it's an epidemic. I mean, it's a, it is a anemic epidemic of just, um, people confused about play people burned out and, uh, play is not mentioned as an anecdote to that. Uh, It's just all over the board, a very confusing definition of play, definitions of play. Uh, What is that? Uh, But the thing that uh, when you were asking and describing sort of JR's interest and maybe what we connected over, first thing that came to mind was was that definition piece of uh, what do you mean? Like when you say play, uh, you know, what comes to mind. So for you guys and your listeners already images are popping into your heads or experiences or stories or, um, what have you probably, uh, a lot of us are thinking about extroverts or we're thinking about, uh, camp counselors or jesters or pie in the face or, um, you know, silliness. And, uh, of course, uh, delightful, whimsical uh, place for that kind of activity and some understanding of play. Um, But is that what we mean when we say play, you know, so basically if you're an introvert or it's like your worst nightmare to think about being in front of a group of people and like dancing or throwing pie or telling a joke or whatever. So that therefore means well, play is off limits for you or it's, it's just not um, accessible or it's not a thing for you which hopefully that's not true. And at the beginning of starting the center, that was one of the first hurdles we had to, we had to jump over. What do we mean by that? So uh, just to cut to it, um, and we can ask more if you'd like, but by play at the Center for Play and Exploration, we mean curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness. Ooh, say that again, yeah, slowly. That's, really, that's really gold. Curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness or basically hidden goodness is a synonym for potential. Right. Mm, mm. So there's all this, I mean, don't get, I mean, you've already gotten me started. (laughs) No, keep going. This is why we want you on. This is (laughs) great. Let the record show it's your fault. (laughs) Um, And if you start thinking about play like that, then again, for us ministry types or people who identify as Christians, the next question comes to one of permission, right? Is, is that okay? Is it, uh, is it worthwhile? Is it allowable uh, from the top down, you know, all the way up? What does God think about that kind of activity of, you know, curiosity-driven exploration and playfulness and uh, creativity, innovation, that kind of thing? It sounds like a luxury, right? It sounds like well, maybe Google and Apple and some really wealthy people, and well, not sometimes, that's how we understand it. You have to have a certain pay grade in order to be able to travel or to um, try some new thing. Uh, but 
the thing that one of the things that pushed me over the line to make me quit my job and start this center was the theology of it. Um, and we say a lot at the center's uh, experiences, if we're talking to believers anyways, and we talk to all different kinds of folks uh, claiming faith or not, if you get the beginning right, you get everything else right. Yeah, that's right. That has single, single-handedly, singly been one of the uh, formative statements of, of the second half of my life, of uh, so much of my misunderstanding, my confusion, maybe some of that anemic epidemic that we're struggling with, I think has can simply be boiled down to, we just, we missed the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, JR was saying, you know, what's the first chapter, one or three of Genesis? Is the creation first or is it the fall? Obviously, the creation comes first, but that's that's not enough. It's what kind of creation in which in in what kind of creation do we find ourselves? Mm. And pillar number one of the center is uh, that the world, the creation, the universe uh, is unbearably good. It is ridiculously good. It's unnecessarily good. It's inappropriate. It's, uh, it's, it's gooder than it needs to be, right? Uh, uh, there are more kinds of things than are necessary. And there is a theology there that if you're not careful, will wreck your life, just mm. destroy it. And, uh, you and your listeners, I cannot guarantee your safety. If you start like thinking about this, you know, legitimately, and I don't even want to, right? Like it's, uh, just that's what we mean by the beginning. You know, what kind of place is this? And in spite of everything that uh, we've read today or heard recently, um, and we all have real-time stories of pain and struggle and loss right now, uh, you know, that's a bold statement to say that the world is a good place instead of a bad place. And how far are you willing to go with that? And you know, I don't know how much time we want to spend on that particular piece of the center or not. But as a teaser, uh, we try to go as far as saying uh, the world is a good place. It was good before it went bad. And in fact, there is no such thing as an inherently evil thing. There is only good stuff that has been perverted or tainted mm. or restricted in some way. Uh, evil has never had an original idea, never come up with anything. All it can do is try to confuse or deceive or hinder uh, pre-existing good stuff. Mm. And uh, again, if you're not careful, that fork in the road will change everything. And as far as permission to play and explore, um, your understanding of God, your faith, your hope for what's coming next, eschatological things start to emerge quickly. Um, but leading into the second pillar of the, of the center and sort of back to your question of like the passion behind this and the pillar of it, the world being really good is quickly followed by uh, an invitation by the creator to cultivate the goodness of the creation, uh, often called the cultural mandate and the end of Genesis one. So the one, two punch for me, long way to answer your question is uh, a philosophical perspective, a theological perspective that, in spite of what I've heard and what I've tempted to believe, the world is unnecessarily good right now today. And the overwhelming vast majority of that goodness has been hidden from us on purpose. It is embedded. It's not obvious. So you go outside, you see sky, tree. If you're standing next to one, an ocean maybe, and then whoever you're standing with, okay, got it. Those three or four things are good. But 99.9 .9 repeating percent of the goodness in the creation is hidden from us on purpose because God intends for us, the creator intends for us to go find it, to develop it, to, um, to cultivate it. So curiosity-driven exploration of hidden goodness is what it means to be human, we're ready to say. Uh, it, 
there that is your work. That's my work. There's good stuff hidden out there and it's our job to go cultivate it. And we call that activity play, which necessitates exploration. First of all, that's amazing. Um, I, yeah, I just feel like that just gives invitation, um, like a, a prescription for invitation all over the place. Um, and and I, I don't want to pull away from that at all, but like, how did you get to that point personally? I, I, my sense is there's a deep journey in that. And so how did that, how did, how did these convictions come about? It was a, a handful of converging uh, moments and eras in my life, sort of a perfect storm, I think. Uh, maybe a, a couple of them earliest on, sort of in seed form, uh, were my own interests, my own curiosities in the world. Rock and roll, baseball, ice cream, history. Um, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with those? quickly came up as a high schooler even, you know, because I was kind of, I picked up along the way that Christian faith is about uh, one or two things, you know, because if you get the beginning wrong, you get everything else wrong. Mm -hmm. So if the beginning of the story basically tells us that the only thing that matters are our souls or, you know, whatever those are and wherever those are and saving those things then it becomes tricky at best to give some kind of justification for ice cream, rock and roll, baseball, sex, books, history, you know, anything else outside of your soul. Mm -hmm. And it's just simply because we forgot that God made all those things and that, sorry, that God hid the potential for all those things in the creation and over time, we have found them and everybody else, everybody has their favorite bits, right? And those are some of mine. And the more you scratch at the surface of one of those, they just explode in your hands. All the labyrinths, all the rabbit trails. I mean, pick anything under the sun and you can research it and explore it forever and you will never fully understand it. Mm. And I think that's delightful. Mm-hmm. I think that's gospel, especially if God's okay with that. Mm-hmm. So early, early on, I had that tension of what do I do with the things that I love and I'm curious about? And a couple key teachers and professors in my life um, either nudged me down the path of exploring answers to that question or just pretty succinctly tied that knot that you love these things because God loves these things. And not only is it okay for you to love these things, you have been commanded to develop your love of those things. And the creation is groaning, waiting for you to develop it. And I had just never heard, and I still don't hear very much people saying, uh, baseball is groaning and needs cultivators. And God is waiting for people to do that. Well, amen and amen. I mean, that seems so, so obvious to people like you and me, Dave. Of course, it's baseball. It's God's game. <laughs> it's God's game. <laughs> and fill in the blank, right? I mean, so how sure, far are you willing sure. to go? You know, and and I would say there is nothing that you can't put in that blank. And that's just probably the best news I've ever heard. So mm. early on, I heard the seed forms of that. Some of my training in campus ministry focused on the cultural mandate. That was the second piece, you know, so the permission to love the world and hobbies and culture, but then a command to develop its hidden potential was huge for me. Huge. It was like a a renaissance. It was like hearing the rest of the gospel. You know, I'd, I'd heard the beginning and I was interested but I still hadn't, I didn't have really anything to look forward to doing in, in the kingdom of God. Right. Mm, What are we going to pass our time doing? Like just the best I could come up with was singing forever and singing the same song forever. And I had this crisis of faith when I realized in my dark inner parts, I don't want to do that. And I I don't want to go there. 
And so that was, you know, that's a big deal to realize that sort of the hope of your faith is something that you're not interested in. So either you need a new faith or you've misunderstood the hope of what it is. And so another 10 years goes by and teachers and books and experiences and all that start to come together. Fast forwarding to about three or four years ago, uh, when we got a grant to basically try something new uh, at a local church I was working out of, and a couple of friends there said, yeah, we're in, let's try this together. And again, going very quickly, seven of us sort of did what we call a play and exploration cohort, where we tested these ideas out for the first time in real life. What is play? Is it permissible? Is the world a good place or a bad place? How do we develop hidden potential? We went on field trips and ate really well and drank really well. And all of these things just kept getting affirmed left and right to where we basically, I anyways, had no option left. Uh, I've got to do this. And that was about three and a half years ago. And Mm -hmm. All those folks played key roles, namely those folks on that first cohort. It, it wouldn't exist without them, for sure, and their encouragement. Well, Dave, I remember when you and I were talking at the retreat. It was just like, oh, there's a guy next to me. Hi, Dave. You know, hi, Jerry. And within, what, five minutes, we were just like, this is amazing, just back and forth. And, oh, I just, that was such a great conversation this summer in Harrisburg. Yeah, and, it was. Uh, and I knew you were onto something. And even as you're talking, it actually reminds me of three different figures who I think have theologically in some way, formally or informally, whether knowingly or unknowingly, have have actually tipped into a lot of what you're saying. So Barbara Brown Taylor has actually said that our job is to be detectors of divinity, which is a great thing. That's that idea of like hidden potential. And so what if part of my cultural mandate was actually to be a detector of divinity in the goodness that this good God has placed in the world? So that's the first thing I thought of. And the second one, which I'm, I'm pretty confident you've you've used or thought through this uh, Chesterton quote, you know, G.K. Chesterton and orthodoxy. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of a mouthful, but if it's all right, I'd love to read it because it totally sounds like what you're talking about. He says, please, because children, please. yeah, because children have a, have a bounding vitality because they are in a, they are in spirit fierce and free. Therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown up person does it again until he is nearly dead for grown up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we Oh, man, I just get goosebumps every time I think about that quote. <laughs> so good. Yeah, he's an old rattlesnake for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, you know, thinking about good things, and you mentioned eating well and drinking well. And I think of, I think it's attributed to Ben Franklin, who said, you know, beer is evidence that um, I'm going to botch it. Oh, well, how does it go? Beer is evidence that God loves us and wants what's best for us or something like that. that I think that's the quote. If if that's not Benjamin Franklin, that's you. Yeah, well, that and also I sometimes replace the word beer with baseball. I've said like baseball is proof that God loves us and wants what's Mm. what's best for us. Mm. And uh, Doug's more of a hockey guy. Uh, here, Dave, yeah. and uh, yeah. so yeah, there's some goodness, a little bit, not as much baseball, yeah. but there's some think, goodness in hockey. I don't hockey, think there's so. as much goodness in hockey <laughs> as there is in baseball. We don't believe that in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. true. That's so true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you know you start the center. That's a big jump. I mean, to to leave your campus ministry role and to just to start the center for play and exploration. How do you have the courage to go for it? To start something, it's not like you're starting an insurance business or a law firm. I mean, this is a new realm that took some courage. So how did you overcome some of those fears in starting the center? Some of it, um, delightful ignorance, right? I had had no idea what I didn't know. And, uh, you know, looking back, I'm really thankful for that. I, I, there is something delightful about 
not knowing what you should be afraid of. Right. And that's a childlike characteristic, I think, right. Of there's a delightful naivete sometimes of let's go for this. Yeah. Why not? Let's try it. Mm -hmm. So that for sure that I figured out later as I went, but after the initial jump, um, no question that it was uh, who is now the board, those people, friends, community, uh, did not do it by myself. Uh, I had more than my own voice in my head, you know, which was huge. Um, my voice often was saying, you're crazy, you know, you're responsible for your children and your wife and you have bills and responsibilities and what are you doing? This is not appropriate. You know, this is irresponsible. And then I would have people that had gone through the cohort or good friends say, it's irresponsible not to. Mm. And uh, so that's invaluable. You know, and whenever you take a huge risk like that, having people that'll tell you you're not crazy and this is a good idea and it's, um, it's incredibly beneficial, you know, and can tell you why and that kind of thing. Um, mm. The other thing that was kind of going on started to uh, develop while we started the center and then quickly uh, got a lot of meat around the bones right after we started it was this very idea of fear and, and what we're afraid of and using play and exploration as weapons against it. Uh, that, you know, so, so, so many of the things we're afraid of don't actually exist. Uh, there's really nothing under the bed. And, and that kind of comes uh, from that original idea we talked about, uh, about evil. And what is it? And uh, where is it? And how strong is it? Um, there's a, a scene that we use a lot in play and exploration professional development from uh, Professor Lupin's class at Hogwarts from Harry Potter. He's the defense against the dark arts teacher at the time. So right away, I'm interested. What do you mean defense against the dark arts? You know, so I'm afraid, we're afraid, we're beating ourselves up. We're, you know, all these things that we're held captive by, how do you defend against that? Which by the by, uh, it seems like the uh, biblical story says it's not defense, it's offense, mm -hmm. right? Just as a little teaser. But uh, Lupin says, he teaches them the ridiculous charm. And the way that you uh, fight back against what you're afraid of is you laugh at it and you, you mock it. And, you know, I think of Luther saying, mock the devil and the devil will run away from you because the gig's up, right? If you get the beginning right, you get everything else right. And the one thing, if, if there even is such a thing worth our time as evil or Satan or whatever, uh, if the beginning of the story is right, then the one thing that evil uh, doesn't want us to find out or remember is who it really is and what it can really do. And, you know, that Satan, Satan's self is a good, good creation of our creator. And next time you see him, remind him of that or mock him with that, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, when I was starting this, all that stuff is swimming in and out of my head and my heart. And I had people around me that were reminding me of that. And, and enough interest at the beginning that we had a gig or two, right? It wasn't like, oh man, let's, let's see what happens. And then we just kind of sat there for two years. I mean, it was almost sitting there for two years, but um, there were people that were interested enough and trusted us enough to try it, even while we were in real time trying to describe and articulate what we were doing. And that was a, I think, for a startup like that, that like you mentioned, JR, it's not like plumbing or IT that you say the title and people instantly know what you mean, at least generally. We'd say the Center for Play and Exploration and people are just like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> or the, the number well, one you thing. You run a preschool, huh? Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. <laughs> exactly. The number one thing people said was, oh, sorry, I don't have kids. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was like, well... I don't care. You know, that's not, it's not for you. It's not yeah. for them. It's for you. And then they get real squirrely. It was like, wait, play an exploration for adults only. <laughs> like, what kind of operation yeah, you run operation? it? You leave campus ministry well, and then you so, go to some yeah. pagan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, 
I can just, and I love that. I mean, I said, oh, so you work with kids. That was, I think, in the first five minutes of art. And you said, we refuse to work with kids or something like that. And, <laughs> and I said, why? And you said, because they're the experts. They don't need mm. help with play. They know how to play and explore. And I thought, ooh, right? And then that whole, like, well, Jesus says that unless we become like little children, we don't. In- so I had never really made that strong, direct connection between become like little children, i.e. you need to play. To me, it was, oh, they're innocent. They don't try to fake it. And I know that's part of it, but it was the the playfulness side. I just wonder how many listeners would say, yeah, you know, they people in my church accuse me of being playful. Mm. I bet it's pretty a pretty small amount. And so what are the critics? I mean, I just... Again, this is so fascinating to us, but I can just imagine even some stripes and certain denominations and certain theological camps that would hear this and would just jump out of their seat as being critical of this. And Dave, what do you mean? What about sin? Sin wrecks everything. And, you know, it, it was good, but it's no longer good. And, oh, you're just a Christian hedonist. And, you know, we should just go out and have fun every day. We can't do that. So, and again, I'm probably extrapolating or overemphasizing this, but I would imagine you probably get some pushback. Yeah. So when you get some of those uh, critiques, what are some of the common critiques? And then even some of our listeners that might be sitting here with their head cocked and going, Dave, this is kind of strange. I don't, theologically, really? So just tease out maybe some of those those uh, pushbacks that you've received. Yeah, I'll do my best. Of course, that's a, that's a huge... It happens all the time to answer your question, and it's it goes deep quickly, you know. So it's a it's a complicated, complex, I should say, answer. But just um, maybe a couple of of places to start if people are curious about you know where does this go and and how how it works. Um, so one one thing I would say quickly is to start at the end and come backwards. So uh, if, if you're having, if, if we are confused or frustrated or even worried about heresy or appropriateness talking like this, um, it's, it's been a great practice for me for checking myself uh, to start at the end of, of where God is taking all this and come backwards and check yourself compared to that end picture, right? Does it, that makes sense. So there's an old uh, Scottish theologian, H.R. McIntosh that says uh, every bit of Christian dogma or teaching must be read backwards at least once to see if it makes sense. Hmm. Uh, Where is this going? Uh, What's the end game? Come back and look how you're living and practicing and believing right now. And if there's a huge gap there, it doesn't necessarily mean you got the end wrong. It's probably like you're off base. Get back in line. And, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, uh, the comedian, oftentimes, um, you know, who knew Dave Chappelle had this much in common with this Scottish Presbyterian theologian, but he, he does that starting at the end practice with jokes. So he has a jar, at least he had a jar on his kitchen table. And every now and then he'll just write a punchline in it and, and put the punchline in the jar. And then weeks, months, whatever later comes back and just randomly pulls one out what that's not a horse or you know whatever it says and he goes backwards and makes it funny and so uh the the first thing maybe the most helpful thing to this critique of wait is this even true or biblical or what is this just hedonism come on is this like head in the sand is has everything to do with your understanding of what we sometimes call heaven or uh the new creation and I just want to leave it at that as a teaser of, you know, what will that be like? Uh, Will God destroy the creation, the good, good, good creation in favor of a disembodied spiritual eternal hymn reality, or will God perfect the creation? Mm. And I have bet the ranch that it's that one, that Mm. I think I enjoy this place now. Uh, I enjoy this place now um, with a restrictor plate on it. Uh, And I had key people in my life that said to me, you know, Dave, you think you like baseball now? Just wait. Wow. Oh, that encourages me to no end. You think you enjoy (laughs) hockey now? Just wait. You haven't, you've never seen it. That encourages me to no end. (laughs) (laughs) And pick something, you know, chocolate, Mm. art, music, 
uh, preaching, um, architecture, you know. Uh, the other thing, too, that might get people to think about the critique that you're mentioning is, you know, you could just as easily say uh, as you could, well, the world's bad now. It used to be good. Uh, now it's bad. Can't you just as easily say uh, all these good things that you can think of and point to right now are all post-fall? The, the fall, evil, if you will, has emptied both barrels into the good, good creation, and the good, good creation is still here. And it is, uh, I'm not even sure I'd say limping. I guess I'm comfortable with limping. I'll give you that. But it has absorbed evil and keeps going. Mm -hmm. And the idea that we're hoping for is evil being withdrawn from it and the good continuing. And of course, if that's true, back to the, you know, the critique again, it's only hedonism uh, if these things about which we are hedonistic are not allowed or God created or good. And the scriptures say that they are that sex and rock and roll and I, drugs, sex and rock and roll are God's idea. And the question is, how do we appropriately best enjoy them to the glory of God? Mm. And because we don't know how to do that, what we do is we throw them away. Well, when something breaks, God does not throw it away. God redeems it. And Mm. those couple of pillars or, you know, beginning sentences are how I think the best places to start going back against that critique of this is just, you know, wishful thinking or head in the sand or hedonism. Some combination of those, I think, are the are the anecdote. So I think I'm, I'm imagining some listeners would say, "Okay, wow, this is fascinating—a theology of play, the goodness of God is hidden. Uh, he runs the Center for Play and Exploration." Um, I think a question that, that pastors and other listeners would have would be, so what exactly does the center do? So maybe you can articulate, you know, how do you, if people came to you and said, hey, I need to help, uh, have uh, some help in terms of playing or my team or whatever, w- what does the center do to help encourage this? Yeah. Uh, the most common, most popular way we do that is, you know, for lack of a better phrase, just to use to access what we're talking about is professional development. So mm-hmm. the Center for Play and Exploration, i.e. me and a friend or two, come on site to your organization, to uh, your team, whether that's so for this podcast, maybe it's a church or a school or a ministry team of some kind, uh, but we do it for organizations, institutions, corporations of any kind, businesses, whatever. And most commonly, folks ask for that because they feel stuck, uh, they're in a rut, uh, or they just, it's okay, but they want it to be better. Um, it's good. It's not good, good. And it's not innovative. It's not uh, creative. They're just wondering, could we get more out of our team? Could we get more uh, and more interesting product or our teaching, you know, whatever the context is. So coming on site and doing professional development, teaching, curiosity, divergent thinking, and a freedom to fail. Those are the three things uh, that we know how to do. And that's kind of it. And all that to the end of fulfilling the cultural mandate and playing and exploring. So do it with a team on site for your place. Uh, Probably the next one would be cohorts, what we call cohorts, where individuals oftentimes come to Pittsburgh, but we can do those uh, mobile as well. Uh, It's over five or six months that go through these steps of is the world a good place or bad place, putting that to rest or at least starting to uh, cultural mandate, uh, teaching divergent thinking, and then people picking a certain area of their life or their work in which they want to play and explore. Um, I'm stuck in this at work. I'm stuck in this at parenting. I'm lost in, in my marriage. I, I, you know, whatever it is. And then we share that with each other at the end. And then uh, we do these it's basically coaching. So one-on-one with me or new things that we're trying called Bloom Labs, B-L-O-O-M, where eight to 10 folks get together 
is sort of like an imagination lab where you have an idea that you want to try in your life or your work and you need a sounding board for it. And you have six or seven kindred spirits around you that are like, oh, that's cool. I like this. What about that? You get you get the benefit of all of their own curiosity, divergent thing. You get to sprinkle their resources onto your idea. So those are the three ways we we typically respond. Those are really helpful. I My sense is that a lot of people walk away from these three particular ways, uh, super jazzed and encouraged. Yeah, yeah um, I think they do. So as I think about, uh, you mentioned the love of ice cream and baseball and rock and roll. Um, so how do those, what does play specifically look like for you in those areas? Like what is exploration in rock and roll, um, finding hidden goodness in that? Like, can you talk us through maybe some practical ways? Yeah. So, uh, the assumption of course being that, uh, rock and roll is a good thing. It's Mm -hmm. almost, you have to say it out loud, right? Because it's amazing how quickly I slip into thinking, well, it's frivolous. It's a waste of time. You know, it's, there's people out there to save, right? So where does rock and roll fit in? So tell myself again, rock and roll is God's idea. Uh, it needs to be cultivated and developed just like any other, just like, uh, feeding the poor and, um, school and education. So maybe most practically, uh, I have an electric guitar and an amp and I have effects pedals and I, uh, try to make sounds. And I try to make different sounds than I did last time, or I try to see what sounds sound good together, uh, or I try to mimic or copy or learn from my heroes. How did they do that? Um, just like school, right? Or just like an apprenticeship. So what what have these folks taught me about this craft? And uh, what what do I want to do just like they do? And what do I want to do as I have been created? Like, what do I have to add to this? And, you know, by the by, like you can just simply move in and out uh, the topic, right? So you can, you can substitute preaching for rock and roll. You can substitute ministry for rock and roll. You can substitute sex. You can substitute money. You can substitute education or farming. You know, uh, how's this been going so far and what can I add to it? And again, the assumption is that no one ever anywhere collectively or individually has sort of plumbed the depths of rock and roll yet. There's more out there that has not been discovered yet. Rhythms, syncopations, instrumentation, voicing, uh, ideas, themes, uh, presentation of it, audio, visual, you know, it just goes and goes and goes. And so, Uh, If play and exploration is legit, like we think it is, then I'm responsible for going and finding that. Mm -hmm. And it's just a funny thing to hear somebody say, you know, I'm commanded to play or, you know, we're thinking about getting T-shirts made at the center that we're serious about play. Mm. That's just funny. You know, or wait, what do you mean? Like, Uh, And it brings up a lot about like, well, if you're a professional musician or athlete and you're paid to do that, is that work or is that play? Mm -hmm. And, you know, hitting my head against this for years now, I'm not sure there's a difference. I I can't tell where one is at least supposed to stop and the other picks up again, especially in the beginning of the story where, where human work was play and exploration. And the only thing that happened to it in the fall was that it got harder. It didn't stop. It didn't, it wasn't nullified. It wasn't like, okay, now that sin has entered the world, that cultural mandate thing, that's off. You know, that's off. No, it just got harder. It became toil sometimes. But it's so inherently interesting to us, you know, our respective interests, curiosities, favorite things hockey, farming, reading, whatever it is, that we almost can't help ourselves, right? And so even when it's frustrating and hard and I can't get the sound out of the amp that I want, it's not like I'm going to stop. Right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just hard or it's frustrating. Or I'm going to put it down for a while and then come back to it because goodness is eternal. It's not going anywhere. And that's incredibly motivating to me 
so just very practically, um, those are, those are ways that I take swings at it from time to time. And of course, listening, listening to rock and roll, mm. um, and, and being playful with that. How did they do that? Or what's that sound or man, that's simple, but it sounds different when they do it. Those are the same three chords that I'm playing. Why does it same sound so different, you know? And that's all part of it too. Man, Dave, this conversation, gosh, it, I could go another two hours just asking questions. And I know we're both just enthralled uh, with this. Just as we land the plane here, uh, last question here. What would you say to pastors who are saying, okay, like I, I, things have been so hard. I don't even, in their, in their true honesty, are willing to say with courage, I don't even know how to play. I don't even know if I have hobbies. I don't even know what that looks like, Dave. I mean, in theory and theologically, okay. I don't, tomorrow if I had the day off, don't even know what I would do. What are some ridiculously practical or specific things you might submit to pastors to just say, think about this, try that. Let me ask this question of you. What would you say to them? Yeah. Uh, the first thing, probably, if if our other hunches are true, it's just mostly a lot of fatigue and burnout, right? That So I think probably the first 12 days that they set aside to do that, just sit there. Just stop. Just just relax. Uh, sleep. Because um, then, you know, you're starting to, like, you take the day off in order to find your passion, and then you start, like, beating yourself up, working too hard to find your love right so it's like it's oh like it, damned if i do damned if i don't kind of thing you're just stuck again uh so uh, and they'll know i think folks probably intuit a little bit how much time before they start coming around again so i would say i guess that's another way of saying don't rush it take your time like a lot of space and reflective silence and all that can be needed to kind of purge the system. Uh, but then also, you know, sometimes it's helpful, uh, to talk about it as curiosity, uh, rather than play, uh, very, very close, if not synonymous things. And one usually leads to the other. So, uh, look at their, uh, Netflix queue, look at their list, look at their search history, look at the books on their shelf that have not moved and look at the ones that they have, picked up or look at the, what is it that they really are interested in and not the thing that they're supposed to as pastors, right? Like all oh, the new book on predestination or instantiation. <laughs> that sounds fun. Mm, that sounds like play. It's riveting. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, you know, in their, in their darker moments, like they're really more fascinated in animation, you know, like, and, but who's got time for that? And what does that have to do with the kingdom of God? And, you know, on and on it goes. So, maybe a, a semantic change of curiosity rather than play. And again, that quickly That's gets good. to a better robust definition that we don't mean like you need to go join a rugby squad or play a sport or a game. And meanwhile, you're exhausted and you're like your fascination and your curiosity are around other things. And so uh, shrinking play down to a sport or an exercise will in the long term probably hinder them and hurt them because this thing that they're curious about is still not getting attention. And then uh, the other thing uh, sort of in your realm there, JR, is uh, think up a great stumping question, like mm -hmm. how something works or when did this happen? Maybe read the back of a couple trivial pursuit cards or, um, you know, just, just paying attention for the course of half a day and realizing you heard an event referenced or a place referenced and you have no idea what that means, go find out and, mm. and just see what happens. Like, uh, again, if all this stuff is okay and permitted, then rabbit trails are okay. It is not, not, not a waste of time. The, it has been hidden from you with the intent of being found and it brings God pleasure when we find it. And so it, it, it could take years to kind of get permission or hit your groove, but any swing and miss at it is worth it. I mean, you're, you're, you're honing and practicing and releasing a muscle that has probably atrophied. So it's just going to take some time. But I have zero concern that there's uh, too little out there to be fascinated by. Just start somewhere and then hold on to something because it'll it'll knock you over. 
that's a fantastic reframing from play to curiosity, right? I mean, the Jews are so good at wonder, right? Even just starting sentences like, I wonder if, or I'm curious about, that's a fantastic shift. Mm. One of the uh, guests that we had on here, it was a two-part interview that we had with him, a pastor by the name of Steve Cuss, who's in Denver. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he encouraged every pastor to do is create a life-giving list. And he said, just, he said he has a hundred things on this list. Some of them are like fly fishing, which he tries to do a couple times a month. But he said, uh, I think he said like going to the Great Wall of China or something. He's like, I went one time. I probably will never go back, but man, that brought me so much life. And so he creates this life-giving list and he encouraged everybody to do the same. And I think in some ways that could probably get to the point of like, I guess I do have passions. I guess I do enjoy something more than I thought I do. So um, that's great. And Dave, we could just go on and on in this conversation. Maybe we just need to have you back at another time. Um, But uh, Dave, what I love about you and the little time that I've known you is that you are passionate, but you're also thoughtful. Uh, It's one thing to be thoughtful, but people are dispassionate sometimes when they talk about theology, but you are passionate and thoughtful at the same time, as well as it tells me something when you take a risk to start an organization that may or may not work, that tells me something about you and your courage. And so we're really grateful for that. And you love baseball. So what's not to love about Dave? And, uh, but we are so grateful and my head is spinning, even though some of these things I've already heard, but gosh, like. This is so good, and uh, so we're going to make sure that we put in the show notes uh, the things that you've re- referenced here, and and uh, so we're so grateful. So, yeah. yeah, thanks again, Dave. I just I feel like what a gift this is to leaders and pastors and people that are listening into this, just to have that framework of permission to chase down rabbit trails. I feel like in an age where productivity seems to be the most important thing that defines us. Um, we've, we've really, it has, it has screwed up our identities more than we've, than we can ever imagine. And so I'm just grateful for the, the, the invitation that you've given us today. Mm. So thank you again. It was good hanging out with you. And, uh, yeah, although I'm not a Penguins fan, uh, I am a (laughs) hockey fan and Mario Lemieux was my favorite player growing up. So (laughs) yeah. The guy could score goals, man. He could <laughs> score goals. So. Yes, he could. Yeah, thank well, you thank guys you for Dave. having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, such a joy. conversation with Dave. I would agree. I, my my brain is still sitting at the beginning of the conversation <laughs> in so many ways. Uh, I just appreciated the way he flipped framework around in terms of not starting in Genesis 3, but yes. beginning in Genesis 1. Yes. That's so good. I, I Both are important, but I just tend to overemphasize Genesis 3 a lot. Right. And that was really important. It was very important for me to be reminded that it was good. It was very good. I love, you know, in the conversations I've had with Dave, he says that they were ridiculously good, which I love that yeah, adverb. that ridiculously Ridiculi- good. Or adjective, I should say, ridiculously yeah. good. And um, so I, that just always sticks with me, um, the, the goodness of God. Mm. Like we, we say that God is good, but to, but to think like the goodness of God who he is then creates good things. Yes. It flows out of his character of who he is. So that, that, that's really stuck with me. That's really been helpful. And I think that's, that's really difficult for us as we're, we are trained to be skeptical and we're trained to look at the, the negative things that are happening within our life and world and all of those different things that we see, whether it be in the media or whether we see it uh, on Facebook in the morning or Twitter or whatever, but to even just to develop that practice of seeing the goodness of God in the things around us. Yeah. I feel like that is so big. I, I even, um, you know, I, I know, I know you guys practice gratitude as a family of like, what's, you know, what's the good stuff that happened or what are the things that we need to celebrate? But I feel like that in itself was just, that's a good way to play. Yeah. 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 And, and just recently, um, I had a chance to, to install, I don't think we've talked about it here. I think you and I've talked about it. We installed a, a bell downstairs mm. in our 
our uh, fa- between our family room and our kitchen. It's like a dinner bell, and we like drilled screws into the wall. And so we say that uh, anytime one of these three things happens, anyone in our family can stand under the bell and ring it. And then we have to go nuts. Not have to. We get to go nuts as a family. So one is where did I experience joy? Did I experience joy that I want to share with other people? Because joy is meant to be shared. Number two, where did I serve beyond myself? Uh, toward others, the arrows pointing out. And then number three, um, what goal or progress, what what progress did I make toward a goal or a dream that I'm working on? And so people say, I've got something with the bell. And so we all crowd around, you stand on the bell and go, ding, 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 ding. And then we all go, woo! And they have to tell the story mm. about what it is. So I think that's helping our family be grateful and to play and to recognize God's goodness in things. I recently uh, took a trip to a Christian college um, uh, just, just a few weeks ago. And it was, um, they've, they've had a really difficult summer and as students were coming back, they were trying to process uh, some grief, a loss of some, uh, some people who had transitioned, even uh, a beloved, uh, staff member who had died of a heart attack over the summer. And so they were really grieving and, and needed to be reminded of that. So I, I bought an extra bell and I flew with it, and I gave it to them as a gift. And I said, I want you to put this up, and when you experience goodness and joy, ring the bell. The reason why we do the bells here in, living in Philadelphia, um, the bell means a lot. Um, it does. And so the bell, obviously ring the bell, the freedom ring. So it's about freedom uh, and liberty. But when the Phillies win... Oh, baseball reference. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> when the Phillies win it, or hit a home run, the, the ginormous bell in Citizens Bank Park rings. And so the idea of either liberty or victory happening, where we would celebrate and go, woohoo, um, a bell needs to ring. And uh, so that's why we installed the bell uh, for that. And we've even had people say, hey, you know, we had a family member, extended family member say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm halfway through my chemo treatments for cancer. Ring that bell for me. I'm making progress on my goal. Mm. And so to, to mm. ring that bell and record it and then send it to him and just say, this is for you, buddy. Um, so it's been really cool. Other people have sort of joined in. And so we just invite you. If you want us to ring the bell for you, let us know. We'll ring it for you. Send us an email. Um, we'll even record it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that has been really good for our family to just try to cultivate um, freedom and goodness and, and play in what we're doing, which is really good. So, um, yeah, well, I, I think one of the things too, I mean, we started talking about like city a year and people might think, well, that's huge and I, that's expensive. And that's, um, you don't have to do that. It can be smaller things. So I think as we think about some of the questions or resources at the end, one of the things that I thought about is what, what can we do to schedule even just five minutes of play today? Mm. Doesn't have to be long, but what can we do just for the sake of enjoyment and play? Uh, not escape, but enjoyment and 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 play. And and part of that, you know, what could if you have children, the question I thought about, Doug, is um for our listeners, what can you do to be fully present with your kids today for five minutes? Mm. It's easy for like a minute or two, but then you start reaching for your phone. Yeah. Just for five focused minutes. What can we do to play with our kids, regardless of their age? I, I, we've actually adopted that over the last uh, month and a half, and we've been playing games. And so uh, almost, almost, usually three to four days a week after dinner, we either play Skippo, Uno, or Cornhole. Yeah, that's on, great. And it's just been so that's much awesome. fun for us to, and you know, I think the problem is a lot of times we feel, and I love that you said five minutes because Mm. so many times I think we feel like, Oh, if I'm going to do it, it has to be like an hour or we try to shoot for the moon. But the truth is if you can be locked in with your family, enjoying something for five minutes, that is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. That is a huge gift. We've heard the phrase, uh, the family that prays together plays together, but I'd like to add an addendum to that, that if the family that plays together stays together. Yeah. Wait, did I mix Mm. that up? Did I say that wrong? Uh, I think you said that right. A yeah. family that plays... Pray, family that prays together stays together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So then also the family that plays together mm. prays... <laughs> the family that plays together stays together. Yeah, So praying is. and playing, which ironically, you ask Eugene Peterson, you know, I'd asked him for years, like, what do you do on Sabbath? And I was expecting this really complicated answer. He said, I pray and play. Mm. That, that's what I do. I pray and play. Mm. So that's... I think if we can do that even in little tiny mini Sabbath moments, 
throughout our day, I think that can be really helpful. So, I mean, you mentioned um, the life-giving list. We've talked yes. about that in the past, but talk a little bit more about how that relates to play. Yeah, I, f- I feel like for, for especially for pastors and kingdom leaders, it's so important for us to have a list. And I, I can't remember... Um, Actually, that was Josh Myers, I think, that brought up the life-giving uh, Steve list. Steve Cuss. It was Steve Cuss. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Steve. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome, Josh. <laughs> Anyways, I think to have a list of life-giving things and um, and just, and just and I think when we think about it, it, it doesn't always have to be, like you said, like the, the big city of the year, but what are the small things? Like, you know, coffee first thing in the morning, um, lighting a candle at night, thunderstorms, uh, you know, the... For me, everything that has to do with fishing or... Yeah, you, know, you just, just showed me like five minutes ago, you showed me a picture of you catching a big fish on yeah. Friday with your son. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And so, yeah, but even in that, it was so it was such a beautiful day. I only caught two fish and my... It's hard because my son is growing as a fly fisherman. And so he experiences a lot more frustration than fun at the moment. And so it was really fun to see him catch a really nice fish as well. And um, yeah, I think just being there. And for me, it's not about catching anything anymore. It's just about being present and here in the water. And I mean, even I had this really amazing moment of smelling uh, pipe tobacco on the river. And it just like in this joy started, I could sense joy <laughs> rising up in me just, just from a smell. Like huh. there was just this deep sense of joy in that. So yeah, that's yeah. Great. but having, you know, what things that you eat that you just love to eat and to develop that list and to, when those things happen to make sure that you like, oh yeah, that's something that brings me life. I think that's so important for us to do. Yeah, that's great. So what can you do to be fully present with your kids today for five minutes? How can you even schedule five minutes of just fun, not escape, but play uh, either together or even by yourself. That's fine. And then what's on your life-giving list? Um, and if you haven't touched that list for a while, maybe dust it off, add some things. Or if you uh, are in a season of just where it's really draining, God's wired you a certain way. He's given you a personality with gifts and passions and excitements. Utilize some of those things on the list if it's been a dry season. And so we want to offer those questions to you. And as far as resources, we want to give you just a few of those. Uh, the first one is is Dave's website for the Center for Play and Exploration, and it's just simply playandexploration.org. Play and exploration.org. And, uh, and you and I were talking about a book that we loved by mm-hmm. Mike Iaconelli. It's been out maybe 20 years or so, uh, called Dangerous Wonder. Uh, that was a fantastic book. So good. I'm tickled when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, seriously, that's one of those books I've read uh, several times. Me too. Uh, laughter, tears, but of just being reminded, my goodness, like I just need to remember that God is a God who also likes to play too and invites me into that play. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are really grateful to be in partnership with Missio Alliance. Yes. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the future, but uh, grateful to be doing that. Check out missioalliance.org as well for that. But uh, just as we close, uh, we just want to remind you all, if you're listening, that God is in control. And because he's on the throne and the tomb is empty, that the pressure is off, that you can participate with God, not to God or at God or for God, that we can actually do ministry with God. And when we do it with him, that's when he empowers us and we don't have to do it on our own strength. God bless and bless God. See you next week.